0: All right, let's get into the Word of God. And while I'm beginning to introduce uh, today, can I get you to turn to 1 Samuel 16 in your Bibles, if you have them? Hope you do. Hope you bring some form of the Word of God, I'm getting them all shown and lifted up. Now that's great. Um, on a on a Sunday, it is uh, fantastic to dig yourself into the Word of God and to. Uh, take away what is said today, and go and look at it throughout your week and your life, and apply it into your life. We, am I ringing a little bit? Yeah. No. All good. Great. Um, we're going to continue today, working on the theme of guarding your heart. Kirk has been uh, um, working us through over about three weeks, I think it is, but they were they were divided weeks. So if you do want to listen to the series on, you can go to i. SoundCloud, iCloud, I nearly mixed it all up. There's so many clouds that are floating around at the moment. And go to SoundCloud and you can download those. Just look for Guarding Your Heart series and you'll find those. Really important word to us as a body, I believe, and that's why I'm going to continue on the back end of that today. But today I'm going to talk about Guarding Your Heart to Guard Your Identity. Guarding Your Heart to Guard Your Identity specifically we're going to talk about the competing voices that will try and continually tell you who you are there are many of them and the enemy is not withholding with any that he can fire at you to try and distract you from who you truly are in Jesus he loves to do it Robbie Dawkins believes that so much that he's just written a book called Identity Theft And it's all around this idea of the enemy stealing our identity and who God truly says we are. So now you can all write that one down, go to the book depository or wherever you want and go and um, grab that book. But our identity, but why guard your heart to guard your identity? Why would we talk about that today? Because in the Bible, in biblical terms, and often in modern terms we would do this, to guard your heart, to guard your heart is the core of who you are. It's the the place where you, you, you the seat of your emotions, the core of your, of your person that makes you make decisions about how you're going to act in life and what you believe about who you are. So, what you believe about who you are is how you will act in life. Is it true? True of yourself? No. No. Yes. Some people think it is. All right, Trent's on it. That's good. Thank you, Trent. Yeah, you need to listen today. After that introduction, you need to listen or I might just point you out. What I truly believe about myself, no matter where the source of that information comes from, I'll live from. That's the reality. For a believer, we want Jesus right at the core of who we are. We want Him to dictate everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel. We often talk about we want His heart. We get that great exchange that happens with Jesus when we come to Him, where we say, take my heart and all it is and give me yours. I need yours. In other words, what we're saying when we say that is, I need you at the core of who I am. I cannot do this life without you. You need to mould and shape me. You need to tell me who I am before the God, you before the God, before God. You are the center of my world, and we do that. Often our language talks about that. I watched yesterday... Uh, We as a leadership team met yesterday to talk about and to seek God, well, to reflect on 2015 and to seek God for 2016. And I've got to tell you, people, I'm really excited about next year, really, really excited about the leadership team that we have here and their desire for each and every one of you to grow in the kingdom of God and your knowledge of how much you are loved by the Father. It is so exciting to see. And yesterday, each and every one of the leaders spoke deeply about how this year has been such an intense time of of God shaping and moulding our identity and who we are in Him. And I know a lot of you would testify. Is that true for a lot of you? Is that? Can you just you can give me a nod or a shake? It's all good. All right. No, it's it's in the middle. We're in the middle road. We we need some more work on this apparently. So no, it's all good. Um, It was really exciting to see that, to see a leadership bow the knee to Jesus and say, your will. Your will be done in my life and in the life of Pine Rivers. So stand by for for 2016. But let's finish 2015 with a bang. There we go. Um, Many will try and hide who they really are. We see that a lot. It probably goes without saying. You can try and mask, and people often do mask, who they are as a person, and it's something that social media is having a a great time with helping people do, is to mask who they really are as a person. You can try, and you might have heard this in your workplace, fake it till you make it. But in the end, with a little external pressure, who you are and what you believe about yourself, it will come to the surface. It will be exposed eventually. You know, this week I was um, in Sydney uh, doing some training for my for my workplace, and um, I got to hear some um, supposed big wigs in, in uh, the business scene talk about their their the core of their business, who they are, and the, and and the customer experience around that. And there's a, there was this one company I won't I won't name who they are, but I will say they were a betting agency, and. Uh, they would wanted to have a, a mission of what they were about. And as he said this, I thought, oh, this is gonna be interesting. How does a betting agency talk about who they, they really are as an organization? And he, they eventually came up with a slogan as, as, a, as a company to say we, it was something to the effect of we wanna make life more exciting for our customers. I went, hmm, all right. So Scott's sitting there and my colleagues knowing my, my faith are watching me. I had one on either side and all of a sudden I can see them starting to chuckle a little bit as they're watching me because I'm sitting there. I've got my arms crossed. I've got a death stare on this guy <laughs> as he's speaking about this betting, betting agency wanting to make life more exciting everything in me i'm like i wanted to do these you know i'm watching you i'm on onto you and i'm praying i'm like holy spirit invade that man and i cancel out this 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 agenda of the enemy all they want to do is make money and they're just trying to mask who they really are that's the bottom line they want to make money and uh, i work in welfare and so i wanted to go up and shake his hand and say hi i'm on the other side of when you don't make life exciting for people So I'm pretty sure that's not why you guys, I don't think you're achieving your mission and goals. The reality is, for a betting agency, they will be exposed for what they really are. They can put that mask all over about making life more exciting. They will be exposed for what they really are. You can't mask that. While I was down in Sydney, though... Um, I don't often do this, but I was so brain dead. I decided I just gotta, I can't think. I'm just gonna go and sit and watch a movie. Um, and I don't often do that when I travel, but uh, I did this time and I went and watched the Hunger Games knowing there's no chance Belinda's gonna, um, wanna watch that anytime <laughs> soon. So it was one of those blokey decisions that, that you made. Okay, movie. If just for a little movie review. It's alright. It's not too bad. Probably the best of the four, I would say. But as I watched it, I then remembered, I can't remember the end of the last one. It started right, it joined right on. And I thought, oh, on the plane, I saw that it was on the Virgin um, app that you could watch it. I thought, I'll just watch the back end uh, of the uh, first part of the Mockingjay movie. And as I did, and you know, I'm thinking, of oh, obviously I've been thinking about today and everything that's going to happen today. And as I, uh is that me? No. Now, as I then um, was watching the back end of the movie, the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit—you know those moments where it's just like whack, it just he hits you, just wants to catch your attention. Where the words in the Bible, or a life event, or somebody says something to you, it's just just becomes big, bold letters. Well, this scene out of the Mockingjay, I just wanted to show you a little bit about this around um, identity and an identity theft. And Sam, you're right to go. Can you play it for us? Now there we are. That's all good. That stuff happens to me all the time. <laughs> it does. Technology doesn't. I'm not talking about just here. I'm talking about at home as well. I was preparing some stuff for the leadership thing yesterday, and I went and printed out all the documents I had for the people that, and we didn't have any ink <laughs> in the. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what we uh. What we do see in that clip, I did write some of it down. In the clip, um, Cagnus has been attacked by her close friend and, and I think they're part, they're in and out of relation. Who knows what they're, what is actually going on for those two? I can't figure it out right until the end of the movie. So, um, but it's Peter has attacked Cagnus, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, because he got captured by the enemy. And what they explain to her is what has actually happened to Peter in the midst of being um, captured. And what he says is it's called hijacking. It's fear conditioning enhanced with a substance. They then torture him both physically and mentally in the midst of that. They strip down his identity. Then all of the fear is redirected and associated with another person. You're right. It's all good. And then they eventually say, can we turn him around? And one of the blokes says, fear is the most difficult thing to overcome. We are hardwired to remember fear the best. Let me, re- re- let me say that again. Let me see if this rings true of anything you think might be on the enemy's agenda. It's called hijacking, and that's all the enemy can do. It's fear conditioning enhanced with a substance. Sound familiar? Can't cope with life. What do we do? Where do we turn? Then the enemy gets in behind it and torture both physically and mentally. Then the enemy strips down the identity. Then all fear is redirected and associated with another person. How often do we blame God? How often do we say, where were you, God? Why weren't you there? Redirected. All that fear redirected to God, the enemy. He can't do it. He didn't really say it. You don't really believe that. Hijacking. And then he go, they go on to say, fear is the most difficult thing to overcome. We are hardwired to remember fear the most. And I was just like, wow. I was like, oh, my goodness. Lord, that's what we're talking about this weekend. And I wanted to give you a visual of that. So, well, you saw them, you saw it, and I just gave the words to it. So, we're all good now. It all worked. I don't want to pay too much attention to the enemy today as we talk about identity theft because he doesn't deserve it. That's the bottom line. But what we do want to do today is see the children of God become free for the sake of knowing who they are and their identity and calling in Jesus that place we will go to today. I want to do that today in looking at the life of King David. He is a guy that absolutely intrigues me. I just read and read and read about King David and I just find his life absolutely amazing and intriguing. How did this little boy, by all rights in the in the ancient times, by all rights, eighth in line, seven brothers in front of him, In that time, meant the inheritance was not going to be his. His older brothers would have been in line all the way before him. He would have got very little. His story is both confusing and inspiring. On the on the one hand, we look at him in awe, and with the benefit of hindsight, we go, "Of course, he was God's choice. He had a heart after his heart was after God's. Of course, he was the right choice to be king. And look at all he did, and look at all he achieved. Of course, he was the one." But on the other side, he was just a little shepherd boy. He was nothing. He was nothing to his brothers. We get that picture really clearly in the scripture that we're reading a little later on. And he just, in terms of ancient times, he was not going to get any kind of inheritance in the family. His qualifications were minimal to none. I'm a shepherd. Awesome. You're a shepherd. Yeah, I am. Okay. Want to be king? I don't think I don't. Sheep are dumb. Sheep aren't real smart. Not real hard to be a shepherd. Want to be king? Sure. There's not a big leap there, much at all, is there? Or maybe there's not. From leading sheep to leading people, Corey's laughing like it's not too big a jump to be doing that. (laughs) I didn't comment on that. Corey was the one laughing, not me. It's all good. (laughs) But there was something exceptional about David. There was something that caught God's eye and that made him stand out and for God, he was the natural choice. It was his heart. It was his heart that made him the obvious choice to be king. So let's have a read of the scriptures. I'm going to read a few passages from 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. I'm going to jump around a little bit because there's a little bit of things in the middle we don't need to read today. So I'm going to start at verse 6 in 1 Samuel chapter 16. When they arrived, Samuel saw... So Samuel's come, he's got a horn full of oil and he's come to anoint one of Jesse's sons. That's all he knows uh, as the next king. So when Samuel arrived and saw Eliab... And thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. The Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all of your, all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him um, brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, what a picture, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Jump across to chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at so- Sokka in, Re- in Judah. They pitched camp at... Oh, far out. Picked a good passage, didn't I? ephes Dimon between Sokka and Azekah. Aussie accent reading Hebrew is awesome, isn't it? Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armour, bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs and wore bronze greaves. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, his um, shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Fear. Jump just across to verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So David has now come from the fields out to the battle. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David, and Saul, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been fighting men from his youth. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it your servant has killed both the lion and the bear the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living god the lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine so Saul said go and the lord be with you then Saul dressed his own tunic he put a, he dressed david in his own tunic he put a coat of armor on him and the bronze helmet on his head David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of the shepherd's bag, and, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "'Come here,' he said, "'and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air "'and the beasts of the field.' David said to the Philistine, Come, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today the carcasses of the Philistine army to the um, today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. It is an amazing passage, an amazing passage. There is so much detail in this passage that just causes me again to be intrigued in David. We don't know anything about him until he's anointed. And yet the Lord says there is something about this man And it's his heart that I love and he will follow me into all I call him to be. He knows who he is in me and he knows everything he has is because of me and that is why he is going to be the king of Israel. And so Lord, we give you this word today. We thank you for this story of David, the great story that it is, one that has been told to so many of us through Sunday schools and different stories, through chappies at schools and things like that. And so now, may this word and may this story come to life and speak to us about our identity. I know that you want to set some people free this morning. And so in the name of Jesus, I cancel out any of the enemy's words or attacks on the people of Jesus right now. And I say, that our eyes and ears will be open to the Holy Spirit and all that the Father wants to achieve today. We thank you that you love us, Jesus. We thank you that you've called each one of us into your kingdom. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. There's three things this morning that I want to focus on as we begin to talk about our our identity in God and guarding our heart to protect our identity through the life of David. There's three simple things that I want to, I want to pick up on. Sorry, because I just flicked up. I've just lost my place. Just trying to grab it again. Cool. All right. Let's jump straight in. The first one, the first competing voice that David has. Now, let's be clear. David has heard from the Lord. He's been anointed. But the first thing that comes against David's identity and who God says he is, is family. It's family. So if you're taking notes, there's three simple things that you can write down today about um, your identity and who God says you, you are And those things that would competing voices that would come against potentially come against who God has spoken uh, your identity to be. The first one is family. I really feel for David, anointed by the prophet of God to be the future king of Israel, right in front of his seven older brothers. That is just a if you've got. Seriously, come on, think about that. You know, it, and not only that, not only did he get anointed in front of his brothers, but then um but then the fact that in the midst of that, Samuel brings every single one of them individually before him and says, Nope, it's not you. Off you go, nope, not you, off you go. Keeps pushing them on through and finding the little ruddy brother, the little annoying one that's always nipping at your heels. He comes into the scene. And the scriptures are clear. Right in front of his brothers, Samuel says, this is him. This is the Lord's anointed. He takes the horn of oil. Now, we're not talking like a little flick and a sprinkle here, a little wipe of a piece of oil across the top of the head. Right now, I could probably do that with my sweat over people. That wouldn't be a problem. Um, But he takes this horn and he pours it, literally soaks David with this oil all over his head and running down. Right in front of his brothers, this happens. Now we're not talking showers and bath kind of territory here in, in ancient Israel. That ain't happening. So not only does that happen before his brothers, the next day when they all wake up, and they, you know they probably all wake up the brothers and go, "It was just a bad dream." You know that day, that did not happen. You know the oldest son, you know son, you get the house, but by the way, your youngest brother he gets the country. So good luck on that. They wake up the next day, and here's David still. Immersed in the in this soaking oil, the anointing on him that declares him as the future king of Israel. That is just gold for sibling rivalry in the family. Nothing like uniting the family than doing something like that. Thank you so much, Samuel. Jesse's life must have been awesome uh, after that event. <laughs> so we read then in verse twenty-eight. So it's right in front of the brothers. David has been anointed, David has been told, because of your heart, because of who you are, you will be the future king. David comes out to the battle, and in verse twenty-eight, we read these words. Listen to this. Now remember, why was David chosen? It's a simple answer. Heart. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, David. It's not a trick. He was chosen because of his heart. Listen to Eli- Eliab's words to David. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are. And what do I know? How wicked your heart is. His own brother goes right out at and attacks exactly what God said qualified him to be the king. David... Because of your heart and your your identity is safe and secure in me. You know what your source of who your source of life is. And the family comes straight at him and says, "Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. No, I know how wicked your heart is. I know. They just chip away, just chip away and knock at his identity. I know how considered you are. Your heart is wicked." That was not true what was spoken against you. Nothing like having your own family attack you. Can I take? Can I just just? Can I just encourage everybody in this room? Be careful what we're speaking to our family members. Please be careful with what you say and 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 do towards your family members in terms of who they are as a person. Do the words you speak confirm God's identity in their life? Husbands to your wives, wives to your husbands. Do you speak words to them? You, you, you know them. You, and you're getting to know them. Do the words that we speak to each other, do they confirm and affirm the identity that God has placed into your spouse? Parents to your children. Do you encourage your children to be all they can be in God? Do you foster it? Do you encourage it? Do you tell them to go for it in terms of attacking life and and chasing God with all they are? Do we speak life into the identity of those we are closest to and that God has given us for all of our life? Day in, day out, we get the opportunity to feed into their identity, speak life. Tell them to go for it. Be the parent, be the father, be the mother that God wants you to be that shows your children who they are and how much they are loved. But David, thankfully, is unwilling to accept Eliab's words. I don't know, it could be out of sibling spite. I've seen that day in, day out. Nah, just not going to accept it because you're my brother and you said it? Nah, not going to happen, not going to do it, no way. But David did have a choice to listen. He could have. He could have taken on Eliab's words and backed down, backed away from the battle. You know what? My older brother has said it. Maybe I should back away. Maybe I shouldn't be here right now. Maybe this isn't the right place for me right now. But he chose not to accept his brother's words. He chose to listen to the words that God had spoken over his life. The second area I want to focus on this morning, that these voices that come against the identity of who we are is people in authority. It's Saul's turn to have a go at David and to cause him to try and back down from what God said and who God said David actually is. But Saul doesn't go for the heart because that would be silly. The kid standing before him obviously has heart because he's saying he'll go and fight a nine-foot giant. He also has a lot of uh, chutzpah about him um, that goes a little beyond just a big a big heart. He, uh, Nine-foot giant. So Saul can't attack that. But what does he say? Well, let's ch- have a look in verse 33. Saul replied, You were not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been f- a fighting man from his youth. Saul disqualifies um David, because he's a young man. You're a small, scrawny kid, David. Your physical uh, countenance will not allow you to win this battle. It's not possible. You can't do it. You're too small. You're not strong enough. The words could keep going on and on and on. Your outward appearance, your abilities, it's not going to happen, David. You're not going to be able to do this. You can't do it. You can't do it. So what does David do? Thankfully, David says, no, no, I I, I can't accept that. I can't take that on board. And he says to Saul, he backs his act for what he knows. He leans on what God has already done in his life and understanding that he has been saved so many times when he's been tending the sheep. And he leans on that and says to Saul, no, 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 no. I've gone the bear, I've gone the lion, and I'm still alive and I'm breathing today. This Philistine is nothing. I, I, I can take him down. I can take him down. Hutzpah. definite Hutzpah. about David. In our own lives, I know for myself—not the tall, dark, you know, buff. Might be handsome, but but I'm definitely not the <laughs> the, the tall buff. I got two out of three. That ain't bad. I was going to pick on you, Trent, but I left it alone. I did leave it alone. I should have. I did leave it alone. Thank God that we don't get disqualified on our outward appearance because positions of authority in our lives often do try and disqualify us. Our bosses, often at work, by work choices, by work they do or do not give us, by promoting or not promoting us, often will speak against us. Some bosses are very open about it and they chip away. And chip away of you not being good enough, not being worthy enough. And it eats away at who we are to the point where we begin to accept what they say is truth. And before we make decisions in our workplace, we're so scared. We're so scared and not knowing how to move or where to go to. Teachers. Teachers are a massive part of this in young kids in terms of speaking words over children. I have heard... Are so unfortunate of the serious words that get spoken over some children. Thank God for some really great godly teachers at the same time and chappies that uh, speak words of life and into the identity of these kids. And no, you are okay. You are loved. You are accepted. You can be anything you want to be. Thank God for those words being spoken into our kids as well. But teachers can have the reverse effect. And dare I say it, unfortunately, church leaders also can speak, they have positions of authority, and they can chip away by the way they... (laughs) Oh, it grieves my heart when I say this. They want a church to look a certain way and have a certain feel, and if you don't fit that, Very subtly, you are moved aside. And that kind of situation, it knocks your identity around where you begin to question, and the enemy loves it because he just slips right in there, just slides right into that little wedge that gets driven into that identity and says, you know what, I'm going to feed into that. I love it, I'm going to feed into that. What I will say about this place, you have freedom to be all you can be. I'm telling you now, freedom in Jesus' name, to be all you can be in him and to find your identity in God. There are many here, I know I'm jumping the gun, but that's all right because I'm, I'm getting excited. There are many here this morning that the Lord, you, you've been following Jesus, from, sorry about my leg, excuse me, it's just the Holy Spirit, that you have been um, with the Lord. You love the Lord. There's no two ways about that. You love Jesus and he loves you, but you've never had him speak over you who you are in him. There is nothing, there is nothing like hearing the words from your father in heaven, the almighty God, the one who created this universe, the one who through his son has said, you are my son and daughter. You are my son and daughter. You're not just a king or queen. No, 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 no. You're a son or daughter of the most high God. And you've never heard him speak those words over you. You've never heard that identity confirmed in you today. Today can be that day where you let him come and speak the truth of your identity in who you are in him because this church we're going somewhere in terms of who who the lord's called us to be and we want everybody on that train we want everybody coming with us on that train because, not because we have our own agenda, but because we want the kingdom of God to break into this world and into Pine River's region. That is our heart's desire. We want you to know who you are. We want you to have the fullness of life in God. And I know his heart today is to have that happen in your life. All right. Now I've got to try and track back <laughs> and get on toping. <laughs> Positions of authority can continually speak into our lives and they can chip away at your identity to the point where you, you back down all the time. You, you consistently doubt yourself and, and don't, are confused about who you actually are. And eventually say you're not pretty enough for the words of the famous song. You, you, are, you are. You are pretty enough. You are welcomed by God. We want to deal with those positions of authority this morning that have um, mistreated you. The third one, the third point of, of these voices that come against our identity is the enemy himself. The final voice David must overcome to hold on to his identity in God is from Goliath. And he goes all out at David. He goes all out. It's like, okay, if if your own family won't stop you from moving towards who God's called you to be and who he says you are, and if positions of authority won't stop you from being all you can be and and knowing your identity in God, then the enemy says, all right, I'm going full full, full throttle at you. You've entered into the battle and I'm coming at you full throttle. So Goliath attacks David. He despises him because of his appearance. And he curses him by his gods. Which, by the way, is nothing. It's not. It's just jabber jabber jabba. Blah, blah, blah. It's all that's coming out of Goliath. He attacks his courage and tries to replace it with fear. You come at me with sticks? Seriously? Can you imagine what he's actually saying there? Um, He's nine foot tall. What would he be doing? Probably standing at that ground to the top of that star? Would that be about nine foot? Oh, hang on. Oh, no, that's way higher. (laughs) Maybe the cross beam, yeah? That would be about nine foot, wouldn't it? The floor to the crossbeam, so so to speak. This man stands before you, probably as wide as that crossbeam as well in terms of his height, coming at you and saying, seriously, you're coming at me with sticks, you little runt. Really? Trying to instill fear in him to get him to back down. Then he threatens his very life, which I know many of you have probably had the enemy do and come against you with, threaten your very life. Fine, if you're anything in a battle, you're dead. I'm coming at you. David has had multiple chances to back out and back down. At the core of his choices, it is always and always will believe what God said. He has always made choices about what God said. Or will he make the choice of hear the voices of the enemy and allow that to dictate who he is and will we will we allow that to dictate who we are? The reality is that the voice of the enemy will always try and present circumstances that shift your perspective away from the reality of God said, God is, or God can. He will always try and shift your perspective away from God is, God said, or God can. Always he will try and do that. Look at Goliath's taunts to Israel and to David, in verse 8, he says to them, of chapter 17, sorry, and he shouted to the ranks, why do you come out and line up in battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Measly servants of Saul, what right do you have to come out in battle? Choose a man and I'll have him come down to me. He says to them, you are just merely servants of Saul. You can't come out and, have, and, and fight me. Then he moves on and he says in verse 11 uh, um, to them, on hearing the Philistines' words, sorry, Israel's response to hearing him, uh, he says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The Goliath taunts and says, who are you? You're nothing but servants of Saul. And what's the response? Fear, because the Israelites are looking at Saul at their leader. Where's Saul? Terrified in his tent, not coming out to fight against Goliath. Goliath then goes on even further, and look what he says to David in verse 26. Sorry, what's David's... I've lost my place. Uh, look at David's response in verse 26 in David's perspective. David asked the men standing near him, "What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy what? The armies of the living Saul? God. God. David's perspective is not on man it's not on man and who man is. David's perspective is, uh-uh-uh. I am accepting what you say. You say it's about fighting men. I'm literally letting you know you are coming against today the living God and you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble because you've come against the living God today. Friends, we are like David and invited to let God be the one who declares who we are in this life. Don't belittle yourself this morning saying that it was King David. I'm not King David and I could never be. Because in chapter 16, verse 13, listen to these words. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Which Spirit lives in you? Which Spirit lives in you? Is it one that's any different to David? No, it's the same Spirit. You have the same Spirit that David had come upon him. You have the Spirit now living in you, dwelling in you, not just on you in you, inside of you, moulding and shaping and speaking God's, the Father's words to your heart deep into who you are. The great exchange has occurred. Your heart has been replaced with that of Jesus. Jesus has declared you a child of God and his friend. Your identity has been, again, see I jumped my gun here but I'm going to say it again. Your identity has been declared higher than royalty. Does that permeate your heart every day of your life or are we allowing other voices to chip away bit by bit to the point where our identity has been clouded and unclear? We're not sure of who we are or where we're going. We are the children of the living God who longs for each one of us to allow him to shape our identity and not the external voices of man or the enemy. I think there are people here this morning that for far too long have heard other voices and allowed them to shape their identity and who they are. It's been chipping away for far, far too long. It could be your family, it could be positions of authority, or it could be the enemy himself. And today, as I was um, preparing this morning and praying about this morning, I saw almost like a line, it was, I think it was about half a meter in front of these chairs. And I felt like the Lord was saying today, cross the line, go over the line and allow your identity to be molded and shaped. And these words that have been chipping away and chipping away, trying to cause you to guard, take control and guard your heart rather than letting the Lord dictate and love you and let that permeate your heart that he, there's that line and it's time to cross over it. And then when we were in worship this morning, I saw I think it was as Neil was praying, I I saw um, then the Lord say, okay, I'm waiting here. It was just like right there he was standing and that line was still there and he was saying, come on, come on, come over the line. Let me be the one that determines um, and shapes who you are and stop accepting the lies of the enemy or those lies that have been fed to you by others that, that are meant to love you and help you grow. Um, it's a warm day and I'm going to stop right there and we're going to do some ministry time um, this morning. Uh, I'm really keen on going after that stuff this morning because I believe the Lord wants to. That's the only reason I'm keen to do it is because that's what I feel like the Father is saying uh, for this morning. So can we just stand up together? Is that all good? That would be great. I love being part of this church. Just watching you all as you stood up then. It's very exciting to be a part of this church. The line is there. It's right across, about half a meter in front of those chairs. If you know it's you that you've been letting the enemy, um, thanks, Neil. That would be great if we could do worship and ministry time. You know, you know deep in your, in your heart, that you've been allowing either the enemy, or you have had times in your life where the um, people who are in authority or your family have not—they just haven't done a good job—and your identity has been molded and has shaped as a result of that. Why, why can I speak about this this morning? Because I'm a man who has walked through all three. And continues to grow in my knowledge of my identity. I have walked through all three of those two things. And I'm proud to say that God still reigns in my life. And that my identity is shaped by him. By him. And every day I choose, every single day I choose to let him and allow him, like David, mold and shape who I am. David knew where his source of life was to the point. If you, This goes so far for David that when he was the king, when he was given the kingdom and he was the king, in his life when somebody, he's one of his own sons, came and said, I'm going to take it away from you, he went, you know what, God gave it to me. If God's taken away, so be it. If he wants me to have it back, he'll give it back. That is an amazing response. That is a man who is completely sold and his identity is completely about who God says he is. Unbelievable response from David. This morning, the front is open for any who would want to come forward and respond to say, I've had enough. Of the lo- you can see the line, Anna. excellent. The lantern is over the line. Come forward and be bold. The line is there and Jesus is waiting for you to come forward. And to have those words stop this morning is a moment for them to stop. We have some words of knowledge here for some healing as well, but what we might just do initially...